0: Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message. And I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. So I love my job. I'm just going to tell you, I believe I have one of the best jobs on the planet. It doesn't come without difficulty. There are difficult parts of the job that I do, but what I want to tell you this morning is that the hardest part of my job is not what I do on Sundays. It's not standing up and delivering a message. The hardest part of what I do is not coming up with the content. It's not writing out the message. The, hard part, the hardest part of what I do is not trying to come up with that perfect analogy or illustration to help Prove a point or illustrate a a concept for you. The hardest part of what I do is the hardest part of what you do when you receive a message. The hardest part for me is to live out the very challenges that I share with you. That is by far the most difficult part of what I do as a preacher. I've heard people tell me over the years and over the last few months, Boy, you really stepped on my toes today. And I I assume that's a compliment. I'm not really sure, but I'm going to assume that it's a compliment. I always respond the same thing. Well, if you could see my toes, my toes have been curled up for a while because you've had this message to live with for about the last half hour. I've had it for the last couple of weeks that I've been trying to live with it and trying to live it out on my own. Maybe you've heard the phrase, that's easier said than done. The phrase that I've adopted is that's easier taught than lived. It's easy to stand up and to teach a message from God's Word. I know maybe that's not the easiest thing for you, but for me, it's easy to stand up and teach a message from God's Word. The hardest part is actually living it out. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series called Anxious for Nothing. We've been looking at those same four verses that Camden read to us this morning. We've read those same four verses every Sunday, and we're gonna read them again next Sunday because we're looking at little pieces, little parts from that text. This morning, I wanna look at just mainly three key words that we find in Philippians chapter four, and they might be the most difficult part of what Paul wrote to us. The three words are the words always with thanksgiving. What Camden read to us, it says, rejoice in the Lord always and then he goes on to say in the next verse, with thanksgiving, always with thanksgiving. So there's a word that I have come to appreciate. There's a concept that I want to live out in my life because I understand that the more that I have it, the better choices I will make, the better I'll be able to handle difficult situations when I have it. I don't make those decisions. I'm able to see life from a better perspective. It's that word perspective. I want to have more perspective in my life. It's really hard sometimes to have perspective, especially when you're dealing with anxiety. Life's got you really stressed out because you get so focused on what's going on. The word perspective, one definition said the capacity to view things in their true relations or relative importance. That's the key to perspective, to view something in its true relation or relative importance. Kind of like if adults, you remember when you were a teenager, perspective is when somebody broke your heart, you had a parent or a mentor that came alongside, threw their arm around you and said, hey, life's going to go on. Perspective is that friend who comes up to you the Sunday after your team lost the most important game they were going to play all season long and they throw their arm around you and perspective says, hey, guess what? The sun is still going to come up tomorrow and you're still have to get up and go to work. I I read a story from back in 1966, John McKay, who was the head football coach of the USC Trojans, he'd go on to win four national championships, but on November 26, 1966, His USC Trojans lost 51 to nothing to their arch rival Notre Dame. 51 to nothing. Can you imagine? What are you going to say to your players after the game to inspire them with confidence and to challenge them? So in the post-game speech in the locker room, he said, gentlemen, there are 750 million Chinese people who didn't even know this football game was played today. That's, That's perspective, right? Keeping things in a larger view. So this morning, I want to look at the life of an individual. His name is Paul. He's the author of the text that Camden read to us that we've been studying over the last couple of weeks. And he's got a fascinating story. He becomes a follower of Jesus. He sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's so devout in his a relationship with God, that he was actually on his way to throw Christians in jail, but it took a vision from Jesus. He sees Jesus in His resurrected state and realizes I don't need to throw Christians in jail. I need to join them in this faith and in this journey. And so he becomes a devoted follower of Jesus, and he travels around the known world and he preaches the gospel and he calls himself the missionary to the Gentiles. Gentile is just simply a word that means non-Jewish. So he's traveling to all these cities and countries that are non-Jewish and he's preaching about Jesus. He's establishing these communities of Jesus followers that we would call churches, where they were going to gather together and they were going to worship Jesus and enjoy this new life that they've experienced. And so that's what Paul is devoting his life to. He's traveling around and he's preaching in the name of Jesus. And this morning specifically, I want to look at a text from Acts chapter 16. So if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to join us there. It's a little longer reading today, so I'm not going to have it on the screen. But in Acts chapter 16, we're going, to, we're going to see Paul and Silas in a unique situation. So when Paul wrote, Rejoice always with thanksgiving, he was a person who practiced what he preached. In fact, when he writes those words, he's sitting in a prison cell. He's in Rome. He's been arrested for teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And so when he says, rejoice always with thanksgiving, he's writing from a place of experience. And he's writing with a perspective that we would learn so much from because he knows that life will continue. He knows that God is in control and is going to do something awesome. And so hopefully we can learn from his experience this morning. Now, I'm personally encouraged by Acts chapter 16 because have you ever had a situation in life where things just really don't go according to plan, where there's there's these things that have happened and you've made plans and you feel like life's headed in a good direction and then you hit a closed door? And you're like, okay, well, God didn't want me to do that, so maybe I'll go and do this. And you reach another dead end, and you're like, what in the world's going on? Well, imagine Paul and Silas, they want to head to Asia, and they want to preach the gospel in Asia. There are a lot of people that live in Asia, so it makes sense they want to go to a highly populated area to preach the gospel. But the Holy Spirit told them no. And so they said, okay, we'll go to Bithynia. Bithynia is our next stop. We'll hit Bithynia. We'll preach. There's a lot of people that live in Bithynia. That was a strategic place. And the Holy Spirit said no. And you gotta imagine, I think sometimes we're guilty of just reading through the Bible. We just kind of gloss over the little details. We don't read in between the lines and we just assume, oh, these, these guys, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Life is super easy for them. They're just like, okay, no, all right, we'll just go here. No, again, all right, no problem. We'll just go here. No, they have the best of intentions. And you gotta imagine they're getting a little frustrated. They're a little concerned. God, what do you want for us to do? And it becomes clear when Paul receives a vision and a dream. And there's this man from Macedonia, and he's begging Paul to come and to teach them. Now the plan's clear. We don't know how long it took from getting a no to go to Asia and getting a no to go to Bithynia to actually get the yes to go to Macedonia. But however much time, I don't care if it's five minutes, five days, five years, you know they had to have been frustrated. So finally they take off and they head toward Macedonia. And as they head toward Macedonia... They head toward this little town called Philippi. It's a, a Roman colony. It's in modern-day Greece. It's also a port city, so there's a lot of people that come into that region through Philippi. And they get into Philippi, and the first thing that Paul would always do is he'd look for a synagogue. And if there wasn't a synagogue, he'd look for a place where people were gathered together to worship. So he finds out that there's a prayer meeting, and it's going on down by the river. So he heads to the river where there's this prayer meeting taking place. And the first person he meets is this lady named Lydia. Lydia. She's a fascinating individual. She's got this fashion empire. She's an entrepreneur. She sells purple stuff. I've joked about the purple stuff before. And I think it was Rachel Baswell who showed me this. If it wasn't Rachel, we'll just let her take all the credit for it this morning. And if it was somebody else, I'm sorry. But somebody recently showed me about the purple stuff. Why the purple stuff was so important. So she sells things made Of purple. Did you know that purple at that time came from a dye? The dye came from this tiny mollusk shell that was found off the Phoenician coast. And it would take 12,000 mollusk shells to produce just one gram of purple dye. And so this was costly and rare. And she's selling something very expensive, which tells us she's made money. She's profited well. She's running this fashion empire and Paul meets her at the river where she's praying and he tells her about Jesus she and all her household are baptized their lives are changed and she becomes one of Paul's greatest ministry supporters she's gonna help pay for Paul to travel around the known world to preach the good news a strategic situation well then they go into the city Paul and Silas and they're met by this young slave girl she's possessed by a demon This demon that she's possessed by gives her the ability to predict the future. She's a fortune teller. She's a slave girl, which means she has a slave master. This slave master profits off of the evil that resides within her and apparently profits well. And so she, as Paul and Silas come into the city, they meet this little slave girl and she announces, or the demon announces through her, these are servants of the most high God who will proclaim the way of salvation to you. That sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Imagine every time you walk into work, imagine every time you walk into school, there's somebody that greets you there, hopefully not possessed by a demon, but they say, this is a servant of the Most High God, they will tell you the way of salvation. Could you imagine going into Walmart and getting that kind of introduction? Well, this happens day after day after day. She just follows them around, announcing this. And then, ha- and then occurs one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I'm so thankful this verse is in Acts chapter 16. You can find it on your own because I know some of you are gonna really appreciate this. It says, Paul became greatly annoyed. Paul became annoyed, folks. Let's just praise the Lord. For those of us that struggle with patience, that find ourselves getting a little annoyed at whatever, whether it's children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your job, whether it's your neighbors, your co-workers, whether it's the people on the road, I just want to take a minute and praise the Lord that Paul got annoyed. When I feel annoyed, I'm just going to quote Acts chapter 16, I'm annoyed like Paul, and we're just going to worship in that for a moment, and then hopefully allow the Holy Spirit to root that out and deal with it. But Thank goodness Paul was a human being cuz sometimes I wondered. So he gets annoyed and he looks at this little slave girl and he casts the demon out of her. He frees her of her demon possession. Well that's awesome. He's liberated this young girl. The problem is is that if she doesn't have that demon within her, she doesn't have the ability to predict the future. If she doesn't have the ability to predict the future, she doesn't have the ability to make money for her slave owner. So her slave owner creates a riot. What had seemed like a revival of Lydia and giving this freedom to this little slave girl who I have no doubt in my mind was baptized into Christ as well has now turned into a riot. And violence is being incited. And there's a, a large crowd gathering. And they're accusing Paul and Silas of doing unlawful things, of creating chaos in the city. And they're arrested. They're arrested And in Acts chapter 16, Luke tells us, they are beaten with rods. I don't know if you've ever been beaten with a rod before, I hope not, but that does not sound encouraging. That does not sound fun. They're beaten with rods and thrown into the prison, and they're fastened in the stocks, meaning they're chained to the ground. Just pause for a minute. If that had happened to you, what would you do? You've gone into this city. You've done nothing wrong. You've not broken any laws. You've just simply told people how Jesus can change their life. You've actually had conversions up until this point. Things are going well, and all of a sudden you've been arrested. You've been thrown into the lowest part of the prison, and you're chained to the floor. How are you feeling in that moment? What's your reaction? Are you a little bothered? Are you wondering, like, God, why is this happening? What in the world's going on? We had all these plans. How in the world are we supposed to preach to people when we're locked in a prison cell? What is the plan here, God? We don't understand. Would you have not just been a little annoyed as he was earlier, but maybe a little bit frustrated, maybe a little bit concerned about the future? Would you have been, you know, trying to figure out, all right, what attorneys do we know? We're going to sue the pants off of this city. We're going to make out like kings. We're going to take them for every dime they owe. We're going to give generously to the church, but we are going to sue them as much as we can. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. I mean, you're planning your civil defense, but that's not what they do. So if you got your Bible, let's go to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying And singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Hold on now. (laughs) This is like next level stuff, right? They're not complaining. They're not planning their escape. They're not coming up with the best attorney and the best civil defense possible to get out of jail. They're just having a time of worship. They're doing exactly what we're doing here today. They're praying. They're singing hymns to God. They're rejoicing in what's going on. That's a different kind of perspective. And in fact, it made such a profound impact It shook the jail. Look at what happens in verse 26. Suddenly, there was this great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, "'Don't harm yourself, we're all still here.' The jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, "'Sirs, what must I do to be saved?' They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Man, what a story! What a moment. That here they are, praising and worshiping God. There's this earthquake. The doors fly open. The shackles break loose. They had their moment to run, but they were so entrusting to God that they stayed put. Now, about the rest of the prisoners, that's always fascinated me. I get why Paul and Silas stayed, but everybody else stayed. Maybe they were so shaken. Maybe they were so scared. Maybe they wanted to learn more about this God that Paul and Silas were singing about and were praying to, and they stayed put. And then in comes this Philippian jailer, they teach him about Jesus, and they baptize him into Christ. Can we just stop for a minute and talk about something that's so important here when it comes to perspective? Can you imagine the conversations that Paul and Silas were having all throughout this ordeal? Let's just imagine their humanity for a moment. You're beaten with rods, you're thrown into prison, you're shackled to the floor. There's this part of you that begins to wonder about the future, what's going on? What's going to happen next? And then at some point, one of them, we don't know who, one of them says, you know what, we need to pray about it. And that prayer turned into a song. And that song turned into an earthquake. And what they discovered in that moment, as things became clear, is that they had a divine appointment that very night. Now when they looked on their, scal- on their calendar, when they looked at their agenda for their trip, or they looked at the schedule of all the things they were supposed to do, we're going to hit the river at 9 a.m., we're going to teach as many people as we can, then we'll go into the city and try to find another mass population. What they did not see, because it was written in invisible ink, spiritual ink, is that on their calendar a little after midnight is they had a divine appointment with a Philippian jailer. We don't even know his name, but we know he became a brother in Christ. What they didn't know was this divine appointment and the only way to have a conversation with a Philippian jailer, the only way to have that conversation and to tell him about Jesus where his heart has been turned in the right way is for them to get arrested, to get thrown into prison, for them to have a praise and worship night, for there to be an earthquake. Also, just when he's at his lowest moment, his heart is at its most vulnerable. Had they crossed him in town, had they met him in the market and, he's, and they said, well, what's your occupation? Well, I'm a jailer. Can we tell you about Jesus most likely? Likely the answer would have been no. We don't know what's happened in his life, but what we know about his job is it has caused him to have to look at people in a different light. Maybe not as people, but as objects. It's very likely he was the one that beat them with rods and shackled them in, knowing that they hadn't done anything wrong. It's just a person who takes orders. The only way to have a conversation with that man with his heart to be in a position where he's willing to listen about Jesus, is for Paul and Silas to get arrested. Can you imagine? Can you think about some of the things that have happened in your life, if you've got any experience behind your years, where you were in that moment, and you thought, "I, I don't know what's going on. This was not a part of my plan. When I mapped out my life, that one event, that season of life, that moment, that situation was not on the plan. It was not in your master schedule, it was never on your calendar, but it completely detoured your life. And it wasn't until you got through it that you said, oh, okay, God, now I see. The reason why you sent me there, the reason why this happened is because I had a divine appointment. It wasn't on my calendar, although it was there, it was just written in spiritual ink, written in invisible ink that I couldn't see until I got into the moment. And there I realized God had a person that I needed to intersect with, whether they were encouraging me or I was encouraging them, and the only way we would have ever met, We call it by chance. We call it an accidental meeting, but there are there is no such thing. It was a divine appointment that God had made with this jailer and with Paul and Silas, and you and I have them on a regular basis. That's why I want us to think about this morning. Here is kind of our big idea today: when anxiety is locking you in, praise and worship will open your heart and mind. It would have been so easy for Paul and Silas to just got caught up in the moment and said, "Why is this happening?" This can't be part of the plan, but they allowed perspective. They allowed rejoicing always with thanksgiving to open their hearts and minds to say, you know what we need to do right now? We need to sing. We need to pray. We need to worship God and trust him every step of the way. We don't know what the plan is, but we know God is in charge and he will lead the way by the way, this letter to the Philippians that we've been studying, these four verses out of Philippians chapter 4, if you open up to the very beginning of the letter to the Philippians, in chapter 1, Paul writes, from prison in Rome, he says, actually, my imprisonment has turned out to advance the gospel because I am in my chains. I have been able to preach to the whole prison guard. He had a captive audience. Oh, I've been working on that one all morning. He had a captive audience. Missed it, missed it. Oh, that's too late. No, no, uh, no, complimentary laughs. I can just imagine on that day, when that messenger arrives to the church in Philippi, and he stands up and says, I have a letter from the apostle Paul. And they said, read it, read it. And he cracks it open. He breaks the seal, and he begins to read. And he gets to that little section. And let's remember who's sitting in the audience. There's Lydia. There's a little slave girl. There's the Philippian jailer. And he says, my imprisonment has actually turned out to advance the gospel because, because of my chains, I've been able to preach to the entire prison guard. And that Philippian jailer said, yeah, I can attest to that. I heard him pray and say, all night long, that man will not stop until you give your life to the Lord. And then he's gonna teach you even after that. And he just had a moment, he had a smile in his heart and a smile across his face and a moment where he stopped and he praised the Lord because he realized that that intersection was only going to happen if something terrible like getting beaten and arrested had happened to Paul and Silas. And he thanked God, he rejoiced in the Lord always with thanksgiving for the hardship that was endured for him. If Paul and Silas can sing from a prison, where can you sing from? Where can you sing from? Sometimes life calls us to sing from the doctor's office. And we don't want to be there. Sometimes life calls us to sing from our boss's office. And we know it's not going to be good news. And we don't want to be there. Sometimes life calls us to sing when our heart's been broken. Sometimes life calls us to sing when we're sitting at the kitchen table and there's a stack of bills and we have no idea how in the world we're going to pay for them. Sometimes life calls us to sing at the mechanic shop when your car's broke down. Life is completely inconvenienced and you have no idea how much it's going to cost. Sometimes life causes you to sing when life is very uncertain. When your life takes a drastic detour and you say, I never thought I would be here. But what that praise and worship will do in that moment is it will unlock your heart and mind because what life wants to do, what your anxiety and your stress wants to do, is it wants to imprison you. It wants to lock you in and hold you captive and keep you in that moment and keep you from seeing life from a greater perspective. And what praise and worship will do is it will open your heart and your mind to see life from a different perspective. I've said this for years, though not in the last couple, and I've heard people say it before, here and other places that I've, ever, that I've been. At the beginning of worship, I've said it before. It's time to worship. Let's take whatever's going on in our lives, and let's, let's leave it outside. Can I ask you, where did you hear that from? Who told you that? Not God. There's nowhere in God's word that it ever says compartmentalize your life and leave your stress and anxieties and worries at the door and come on in and worship God. For two reasons. One, God wants you to surrender them. Two, it's impossible. When you were told to leave your stress and worries at the door, did you? No. No. It was dominating your mind the whole time anyways, was it not? Would it not have been a better exercise to come in and say, you know what, this is going on in my mind, my mind is completely wrapped up in this, you thought about it the whole ride to church, you've been thinking about it all morning, you've been thinking about the last week, the last month, the last year, and instead of bringing it with you and leaving it at the door, wouldn't it be better to bring it in here and just lay it before God and say, God, I don't know what's going to happen, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, I don't know what my next step is, I'm just going to surrender it. I'm not going to leave it at the door, I'm just going to lay it right before you, God, and I'm going to pray. Praise and worship over it. And and allow that worship to give me greater perspective because if nothing else, what I will be reminded of and what you will be reminded of is God is still on his throne. He is still concerned about your life and while you may not see the plan, God is in control and he is going to do something from it. Romans 8.28 says he will work good. You don't know what that definition of good is. It might be a divine appointment. It might be a complete detour so that he can lead you to someone that you would have never met otherwise had that detour or not happened in your life. It could be that he's trying to teach you greater trust in him. God is not a mean father. He's a generous and loving father. And sometimes he gives us challenges to strengthen our dependence on him because that is the greatest thing that we need. I asked Miss Margaret Daly earlier this week if I could share this with you and she gave me her permission. We were having a conversation through message the other day. She's waiting on news of a biopsy. And I I commented on, In our text exchange, I said, boy, living in the waiting room can sometimes be really difficult. I want to read to you her response today. She said, when I think of waiting, I look at it as God giving time to get things and people in order so that things can work out according to his plan. And my piece in in that comes with knowing that everything he does is good. What's good to him may not be good to or for me in my eyes, but he's the wiser one. So I'll accept his good and be thankful. God's been so good to me. This battle is His, not mine. I surrender it all to Him. I'm at peace. I have the best everything in my corner. It's a win win. Man, praise God for that. That's the perspective I want in my life. My next detour, my next struggle. And you know, life changes with a phone call, it changes in a moment. And your life looks completely different than it did before. And things wind up in your life, on your calendar, that you never planned to be there. That's the kind of perspective and faith that I want to have, that I'm thankful my sister has. And I'm thankful God brought her into my life to teach me something profound. When, praise, when anxiety is locking us in, praise and worship is the key to opening our hearts and our minds. Here's the last thing I want to share with you. Because rejoicing in the Lord always may not change your circumstances. I don't want you to walk away this morning going, well, man, in Acts 16, if I want to get out of this prison, if I want my life to completely change, I'll just praise and worship and an earthquake will occur and everything will fall away. No, that's not, that was Paul's story, not necessarily yours. It may not change. The news may not come back good. The job may take way longer to find. It may take you out of this world. I have no idea what your story is going to be. It may not change your circumstances, but it will change you. It'll change your heart. It'll change your devotion and trust in God. It'll change your perspective. It'll change your ambitions in life. It will change you. So this morning, if there's something that's been weighing on your mind, if there's challenges that you have been facing in life that are weighing you down, I hope you didn't leave them at the door this morning. I hope you brought all of that in with you. And maybe you weren't thinking about it during our worship before the message time this morning. I want you to to just take a moment and lay that before God. In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. We call this the invitation song. It's an opportunity that we've created to give you an opportunity to respond. It's an invitation that looks different for every person because God is inviting us to do something different. It's more of an individual moment and decision. For some, maybe what God is inviting you to do is to finally surrender your life to Jesus and to give your life to him, confess his sweet name as Lord of your life and to be baptized into Christ. And maybe, just maybe, it was somebody's detour that put them into your life and you intersected and their faith rubbed off on you. They shared with you the good news of Jesus and you're ready to give your life to Christ today. For those of us that have done that, we've given our lives to Jesus, but we're going through life and life's wearing us down, and we move from one struggle to the next, and maybe you come today with your shoulders feeling really heavy of a burden that you've been trying to carry on your own, and maybe you were tempted to leave it in the car this morning. I hope you brought it with you, because I hope today that you'll surrender it. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute, I believe that's titled, Jesus is Lord. And in that song, what it will do is it will remind us that Jesus is reigning over all. He's reigning over whatever it is that's locking us in. And he's encouraging us. You're being prompted by God to just surrender that to him. And for just a moment, to worship over that. Not to forget about it, but to lay it before him. So I want to encourage you, as we sing this song in just a moment, if that's something that's going on in your life, That as you stand and sing, you just stand and sing in a surrendered position. God, I'm not gonna try to manipulate it anymore. I'm not gonna wear myself out trying to just change the situation. I'm gonna just trust you every step of the way. I'm gonna pray about it every moment. I'm gonna rejoice that I'm going through it because I believe that you're gonna do something through it. I'm just gonna lay it before you. I'm gonna be thankful that I'm here today and can worship you. I wanna encourage you to do that. If you need somebody to talk to, our shepherds will be up front and in the back and that's an opportunity for you to go in to receive some prayer. Our shepherds are here to shepherd, to guide, to walk with each of us along the way. And I encourage you to find one of them. And just say, I need you to pray for me today. If you wanna talk about what's going on, if you just want them to pray, then we'd love to do that. If you want the prayers of this church family, we'll stop what we're doing and we'll pray over you for God to grant you greater perspective and trust in him. Whatever God is calling you to do. I hope you'll answer the call as we stand and sing.